Hey, I'm Steph. I'm Alex. And this is Not Today. How are you doing? I'm good. Today we had dessert for breakfast at noon. Oh, that's true. So, fight me on National Cookie Day. Was that, it National Cookie Day or I something? Actually, Global Cookie Day? I actually think that National Cookie Day may have been yesterday. Um, the Instagram post that I showed you this morning to get you to get excited about cookies was posted 23 hours ago. The truth is coming out now. You're fraud. I did what I had to do <laughs> to get by. Yes. But we got cake and I win. And bread pudding. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. we paid homage by getting cake. Yes. Sure. But, but you know. This isn't the cake and cookie podcast. Yeah, that's, that's how it goes. But yeah. <laughs> anyway. Hey, guys. Welcome to the show. <laughs> Welcome to the show. What do we got this week? I wanted to say thank you so much to everyone for posting your Spotify wrapped. And thank oh, you yeah. to everyone who had us on your Spotify wrapped. That was so crazy to me. Yeah, I know. It was wild. I'm like, some people have two podcasts and we're one of them? Yeah. And or we're like, like, we're like next to like Crime Junkie and Morbid. I'm like, yeah, my this favorite murder. Strange. Like seeing seeing the podcast that I've listened to and loved and respected for so many years, and seeing our podcast like with those podcasts on some people's lists was it's like a wild. really crazy. Yeah. So thank you guys so much. Um, but yeah. Anyway, I just wanted to say a quick thank you for that. Oh yeah. I don't know. What else we have going on? Anything? Not really. Not really. I guess we could just jump on in. It is a kind of a kind of a nutty one today. So a nutty one. Yeah. I like that word. You like that? Yeah, what's going on? Okay, um, so I'll start by reading you my sources, shall I? So I got my information from an episode of 60 Minutes Australia with Tara Brown, an AB News, an AB News, an abcnews.net.au article written by Jamie McKinnell, the Sydney Morning Herald article written by Michaela Whitburn, a news.com.au article written by Heath Parks Hupton, and Articles from the Daily Mail Australia, written by Elena Mazzoni and Sam Duncan. Wow. Many sources. Very detailed. Yes. Thank you. Of course. Let's get into it. Yeah. So, <laughs> our story has taken place in Australia today. I could have guessed all the dot .au's. I was oh, about right. to ask, like, what's going on? <laughs> I actually like, forgot that I just listed all of the Australian, like, sources, and I was, like, waiting for you to be like, yeah, excited like they about Australia. Own, they have their own part of the internet. Yeah, exactly. Wild. But yeah, we're we're gonna take it down to Sydney, Australia, and specifically the Forest Lodge region of Sydney, oh, yeah? Australia. There's Nemo there. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Oh, this is yeah. We're gonna have a lot of those this episode. <laughs> we'll try not to. Uh, so Forest Lodge is a quiet inner suburb of Sydney, Australia. And on Friday, August 10th, 2018, 26-year-old Hannah Quinn woke up late at around noon and walked barefoot down Hereford Street from her boyfriend Blake Davis's house to get some breakfast and coffee at a local cafe. She got two coffees, and by about 12.20, she started walking back down the street to Blake's house. But on her short walk back, she noticed a man she had never seen before acting kind of strange. As she spotted him, he was 
looking around the property and looking over his shoulders and trying to see if anyone was watching him. So it was definitely weird. Yeah, he's sus. Yeah, I, like I actually have that in my notes. Man's yeah, a sus. very sus. He like vented. I'm like, yeah, I was just about to say he's trying to vent. <laughs> For anyone who doesn't know, that is a reference to... Among Us. Among Us. There I forgot go. the name. Yeah. <laughs> it's a stupid game. Anyway. So yeah, he's acting super weird. And as she was looking at him, you know, look around and be weird, he spots Hannah looking at him and he kind of does a double take at her. And he's like a little startled to see someone looking at him because clearly he doesn't want to be seen. Right. This interaction was only a couple of seconds, but it made Hannah feel really uneasy as she walked inside with their coffees. And the two had about a minute of the calm before the storm because dun 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 I've introduced oh our characters. <laughs> I've introduced <laughs> the people in the story. Anyway, she gives her boyfriend Blake his coffee and before she can even join him at the table, this man burst through the door behind her, now wearing a balaclava and pointing a gun at them. What? It's a ski mask. Okay. Yeah. Okay. But he just kicked the door down? Yeah, he basically put on a ski mask and just, like, burst through the door. Not cool, dude. No, not great. Don't like that. Please stop. Both of them immediately spin around and see this man wearing all black, including this balaclava, and now in their home and pointing a gun pointed straight at Blake's head, most importantly. So, bad stuff all around. Yeah, he's not fucking around either. No. Blake was standing in front of Hannah at this point, and the man is screaming for the couple to give them their fucking money. So he is mean in business. Yep, take it, here you go. And while he's yelling for them to give them his, their money, Hannah is yelling for him to get out, get out, get out, because they're all panicking. So he's yelling for the money, Hannah's yelling for him to get out, and Blake is like, whoa, 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 put the gun down. It's just a bit of chaos. And the man behind the balaclava is Jet McKee. Jet McKee was 30 years old at the time and was an aspiring rapper who went by the name Scapez? Scapez? Okay. We're going to go by that. It's Scapes. kind of hard to pronounce. Sure. <laughs> anyway, that's his rapper name. But we're going to call him Jet McKee. And in 2007, McKee founded the Sydney-based indie hip-hop label Subconscious Records, and he was well-known in Sydney's hip-hop community and was featured in a number of music videos and collaborations with other artists. So he wasn't, like, I don't think he was a huge name per se, but he was definitely, like, known in the community. Yeah, he was unsuccessful. Yeah, he was known in the hip-hop community, for sure. And just another little bit of information, when I looked him up on AussieCelebs.com, it said, quote, Jet McKee stood at a tall height, which might be over five feet. Might be. That's real specific. <laughs> so short kings unite, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. It didn't give me any sort of information. Yeah, no. But like, I'm assuming that the uh, hip hop career didn't work out so well if we're at this point. Well, actually, I think it was he was doing it. In that moment, he was just he was just also robbing people on the side. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And at the time, he was engaged to Avril Bowers, who was pregnant with their son. And What the fuck are you doing, dude? Yeah. However, the night before this attack, Jet McKee spent his night in a casino feeding his long-held gambling addiction. I see now. Yeah. So he sat at the poker machine all night with $100 bills, putting them in one after the other. So yeah, he was definitely troubled. He had a gambling addiction for sure, as well as a drug addiction. 
because he was also on crystal meth at the time of the break-in. So after losing all of his money in the casino, he, you know, got high on crystal meth, which was another thing that he liked to do. And he got into a car with a friend of his, quote unquote, and went to the forest lodge area where they parked. He got out of the car, went to the trunk and put a balaclava, cable ties, brass knuckles, pepper spray, and his gun in a bag before setting off to Blake Davis's house to rob him. Yeah, so he just had this in his trunk? Yes. At was, all times. This was a planned attack. Yeah. And he was on a violent mission. It wasn't just like, I'm, give me your money. It was like, I have brass knuckles and pepper spray. pepper spray and cable ties and, you know. Yeah. So it was a lot. Which I also didn't know in Australia, they call them knuckle dusters, brass okay. knuckles. And also they call poker machines pokies. Pokies? <laughs> yeah. Oh. Like. Oh my God. The motorcycle is the main character. Yes, like uh, like a sushi bowl, poke. Oh yeah, kind of, I guess. But um, the Tara Brown on the sixty minute episode, she was like, after spending a night at the pokies, he went. <laughs> <laughs> that is very Australian. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so we have balaclava, which we I it's a ski mask, and then we have knuckle dusters and the pokies. We're we're really down under. Okay. <laughs> so. Did you write that in? No, I didn't actually. It was right <laughs> off the cuff. So so now we're back in the house. So back at Blake's home, McKee is screaming out, where's the money? Give me the money. And Blake is screaming, there is no money here, hoping that it will alert the neighbors that they were being robbed. Yeah, I mean, you got to hear this going on. Right. Everybody's screaming. Right. But when he said that, McKee went from pointing the gun at Blake's head to then pointing it at Hannah's. And Blake at this point was absolutely petrified because he said the most scary moment for him was seeing the gun pointed at the person he loved and thinking he was about to watch them be killed. Yeah. That's very sweet. Um, and horrifying. I can't even imagine. Um, so Yeah, dude, go find some money. Yeah, that's like, I can't even imagine. So he took a step in front of Hannah with his hands up and said something like, whoa, whoa, like, don't do that. But now McKee is getting impatient and tells the couple if they don't give him the money that he would shoot them and that there are also people that know where they live if they don't comply and where their where their families live and they would also hurt them. So he's really laying it on thick. He's like, you have no option here. So yeah. just give me money. And this sounds bad, but it's about to get worse. The whole time he was holding the gun in one hand and he had his brass knuckles on the other hand. But now he brings the brass knuckle hand up to the gun as well and is pointing it at Blake with two hands. And the brass knuckles on the gun kind of made a metal on metal noise. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. And after that, the next thing that Blake remembers after hearing that metal on metal noise is waking up on the ground by himself. So McKee and Hannah are no longer in the room and he wakes up on the floor. He had blood all over his face and he thought that he had been shot. And all he could hear in the distance was Hannah's screams. Oh my God. Although he had not been shot, McKee had punched him in the left eye with the brass knuckles and just completely dropped him. Yeah. So, I mean, what else are you going to do about right. that? Yeah, but I he mean, doesn't even remember it happening, though. No, he doesn't. And he thought he was shot. Like he was in that yeah. much pain and there was that much blood happening. Yeah, I mean, that's gonna really hurt. He's probably concussed too. 100% he was yeah. concussed. 
And from Hannah's perspective, she heard a terrible smacking sound as she watched her boyfriend kind of fly across the room and then hit his head on the wall before he hit the ground. Oof. And he just stayed on the ground and then didn't move. So now that Blake is unconscious and pretty much out of the picture, all the focus falls onto Hannah, and McKee lunges for her purse that was on her shoulder at the time. And instead of letting him just take it, she grabs it before he can pull it completely off of her shoulder, and the two are yanking at it back and forth. <laughs> I mean, you know, I really respect the moxie, but I just don't think this is the time for it. Yeah, so hold that thought. So they're yanking at it so much so that he ends up pulling her outside as if he's just trying to get her bag and then run away with it. So he's not even at this point like trying to be violent or like search through the house or anything. He just wants the bag and to get away at this point. You know, after he just dropped her boyfriend, definitely trying to be violent a little bit, but not with her. Oh, yeah. No, that's what what I mean. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like at this point, it seems like all he wants is the bag and then he's going to run. But she's still holding on to it for dear life. Yeah, I mean, he can replace all that. Right. And the whole time, he's telling her, just fucking let go. (laughs) But Hannah was so hopped up on adrenaline, she was still screaming back, leave me alone, and pulling back at the bag. And she doesn't really know why she didn't just let it go, but she said in the moment she wasn't thinking, and that's just what her body did. It was just how it responded. Yeah. But what happened next is honestly more surprising than that. He did manage to get her bag away from her, and he takes off running. And instead of letting the bag go, she takes off after him. Oh my god. (laughs) Remember, he still has a gun and brass knuckles, but she chases him down the road. She said, again, she wasn't thinking, her body just moved. And it was at this point that Blake was just regaining consciousness in the house. And as he's waking up, his ears are ringing and his head is pounding, but he can hear Hannah screaming outside, so he pulls himself up. Everything was spinning, and he could barely see because of all the blood in his eyes, and he actually thought he had lost one of his eyes because of how little he could see, because remember, he thought he had been shot. Right. And Blake's orbital displacement was pushed four millimeters in toward his nose, and he had three other fractures surrounding it, which had also spread apart. So blood was coming from both outside of his eye and from the inside of the socket and coming out of his nose and his mouth. So he had blood all over the place. Yeah. He he could barely see. He's got one eye. Pretty much. And even the the eye that wasn't punched, like, still had blood going into it. So he could barely see. And Hannah had caught up with McKee, who was on a, remember, nearly lethal dose of crystal meth. So... Oh, really? You don't want to be fighting someone on crystal meth. Yeah, no, it's not going to feel anything. Yeah, I mean, it just sounds scary to me. (laughs) It doesn't sound good. And in the middle of the street, she reaches out and grabs her bag back again. Oh, my God. (laughs) And he stopped and turned around. And as he's taking a step toward her, he's raising his arm to punch her with the brass knuckles. But she reacted quick enough to step back and to the side and dodge his punch. And she watched him fall to the pavement. No way. Yes. (laughs) And when she looked down at him, she saw that he had a gun pointed up toward her. Yeah, that detail. Yeah, so... She's a boss bitch, but, like, he's got a gun. Yeah. So... (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm, like, laughing at, like... She chased him down Mm -hmm. and got her bag back and dodged a punch. 
<laughs> like from a guy on so much crystal meth. Yeah. And now he's on the ground and pointing a gun at her. This is where we're at. So Hannah freezes and puts her hands in the air and yells at him not to shoot. In that moment, Blake grabbed one of his samurai swords that his brother had gotten him for, I believe, his 18th birthday. Like, it was a decorative samurai sword, okay? In his living room. a karate movie? (laughs) Like, kind of. He had decorative samurai swords in his living room that he grabbed to go defend himself and Hannah. And so he runs outside with the sword, and he ran as fast as he could outside. And when he got to the street, he said he could barely make out McKee holding up a gun toward Hannah. Now, Blake and Hannah didn't know this, obviously, but this gun actually only had blanks in it. It was a prop gun. Oh, really? Yes. Okay. So it was not a real gun. I mean, uh, yeah, prop, prop guns are still very dangerous, as we unfortunately know, but I mean... Yeah, I guess they can fire real bullets, but... Yeah, but I mean, this gun had blanks in it. Like, yeah. he, he was not intending to shoot anyone with this gun, but they didn't know that, obviously. But the threat of the gun to them was still very real, especially with it being pointed in Hannah's face. And it looks like a very real gun. And he thought that he needed to strike McKee with the samurai sword now to protect Hannah and himself. So he does exactly that. He swings the samurai sword and brings it down right on Jet McKee's head. Holy shit. Blake says that he doesn't have any memory of hitting him with the sword, but Hannah remembers seeing blood. And after that, the two took off running. This whole thing happened while a neighbor saw there were witnesses to this attack, and they called the police as it was happening. And in the 911 call, you can hear a woman saying, a man has just been attacked, he's bleeding. Oh fuck, there's a gun on the ground. And Hannah and Blake at this point weren't concerned that he was hurt or that they had even possibly killed him, but that he'd still come after them. So they were just running. And Hannah said that she remembers looking back behind her as they were running away and seeing that McKee was trying to stand up. And that's when she yelled at Blake to keep running and they didn't look back after that. And the woman on the 911 call also said, oh, he's trying to get up quick, quick, quick. Meaning like someone get here quick. Yeah. I can't imagine like walking out to this. Yeah. It's, I mean, a horrifying scene. Yeah. And this is important because at this point, their whole lives are about to just turn upside down. I mean, they're already like completely changed, but Jesus Christ. So what they didn't know was that the blow with the samurai sword actually did end up killing Jet McKee. He did manage to get up, but he only made it a few steps before falling back down and just completely bleeding out. And what started as a desperate attempt at self-defense is going to quickly turn into there is a man murdered in the middle of the street who is responsible within the hour, actually. Well, I mean, if you roll up on that scene, what do you assume? No, for sure. I mean, it's a, as someone rolling up on the scene, you're like, what the hell is this? And they ran away. Exactly. Although to Hannah and Blake, the threat of Jet McKee was still very real because they didn't know that he had died on the street. They took off running and they didn't look back. So they were in a complete panic after that and still very much in a state of shock and panic, and the only thing on their minds was to get out of there before that person could find them again. Blake had no idea he had done something wrong at this point. At one point, Hannah said she did wonder if he needed medical attention, but she said they had no idea how serious his injuries actually were, because to them, he got back up. 
he also said, meaning Jet McKee also told them, like, people know where you live. They know, We know where your family lives. Like, right. we're, we're coming for you if you don't give me everything, essentially. Right. So they're terrified that there are more people coming after them. So here's where they kind of went wrong. The couple raced home and hid the samurai sword in the backyard. And the very concussed Blake packed an extremely bizarre bag with five pairs of nunchucks, an airsoft gun, and $21,000 in cash. What? <laughs> so he has 21k in cash uh-huh. and five pairs of nunchucks yep. just in his house. Yeah. Or apartment. Yeah, so he was an- Why do you need five nunchucks? This one seems plenty. Like <laughs> I mean, I don't think I need really any, but <laughs> Yeah, I mean, like if you're going to have one so, like, he's a collector. I mean, he's obviously... If he's got a samurai sword, he's probably really into that. But, like... Each week, I speak to inspirational people. Each one of them has been on their own remarkable journey. They've all chosen to share their stories with one aim. That if people can relate and get comfort from it, if it can help someone... As one of my guests said, there's so much going on in the world. We should be focusing on helping one another and making each other better. Each one is a superhero, not because they have special powers, it's because in spite of what they've gone through, they keep on going. I find them remarkable. Please listen to Chatterholic and hear their stories. What? <laughs> no, so Blake Davis was an actor. And this was his prop bag. Oh, okay. So he he kind of just took his prop bag and, like, put random shit in it. And I guess, I don't know if the nunchucks were already in it, or he was like, this is good, this is what I need, and just, like, chose that bag with all this stuff in it. But they also took the $21,000 in cash. Yeah, why does he have so much cash? I guess they just did. That's a lot of dough I to think just they, be Yeah, having in your house, yeah. yeah. I think they actually had more cash in the house too this was just what they took Uh uh-huh yeah we're gonna get into that y'all heard of a bank (laughs) i put everything in my mattress (laughs) do they have banks in australia (laughs) (laughs) um and looking back on his choices of what to take blake can't really explain it (laughs) i mean he just got like his brain got rearranged so i'm sure he's not you know thinking well yeah He just said that it showed how bad of a headspace he was in to have five pairs of nunchucks in his bag and think that that was a rational thing to do. So, yeah, yeah, he was like, it was my prop bag and I was terrified. So that's what happened. All of their decisions, according to them, were completely based off of fear and impulse. And Hannah had suggested they take the money because she thought someone would be coming back to the house for the money since he was there for that very reason in the first place. So they're like, we need to take it with us. So that's, that's the rationale there. And after packing their very odd bag, they escaped from their house yet again. And initially they decided to hide in a laneway, which is I think an alleyway, but in the, Australia. the Australian version. Sure. Um, and this part is a bit confusing. So they either hid this bag full of thousands of dollars in this laneway or they literally forgot it in their panicked frenzy either way it was left behind okay 
After that, they just never stopped moving. They kept hopping from taxis to hotels because they never wanted to be found. They decided not to go to family because they were told, you know, accomplices knew where their family lived and they didn't want to put their loved ones in any more danger than they could have already been in. And you might be thinking, why didn't they call the police? That was my next question. (laughs) Well, they said at that initial time, they didn't even consider it because they were running off of fear. This is their thought process. I mean, I I guess so. Like, I mean, you can't even put yourself in this position, but I I feel like, yeah, like my, my first thought is always cops. Yeah. We're calling the cops. Yeah. This, this case is a bit all over the place, if you couldn't already tell. But yeah. there's also a question of, like, who's right here, who's wrong. So I mean, it's... You know, if I'm, like, investigating this, mm-hmm. and you have a bag full of weapons and 21K in cash, and you have other... You have, like, more cash, mm-hmm. and you hid the sword, and now you're hotel hopping mm-hmm. you don't look very innocent no especially and- he's a gambling addict you probably think like maybe they were collecting a ransom they have all the cash meaning, not a good look for them meaning blake and hannah are the bad guys and yeah. jim mckee is the victim yeah i mean but you he's the one a, yeah. he's the one with the balaclava this the pepper spray the cable ties the gun the knuckle duster you know, it's the, confusing yeah so I'll give you my thoughts at the end, because there's still a lot more. Okay. Okay. But yeah, from the police's perspective, doesn't look great. Yeah, no. Doesn't look great. So they didn't call the police. They're hopping from hotel to hotel, and they insist that they weren't running from the police. It wasn't that they were running from, you know, because of guilt. Even though at this point, the police had an open murder investigation going and were looking for the people responsible in Jet McKee's murder. The couple continued to take taxis and lifts and changed hotels for three days after the event. Yeah, no, I was about to ask if you're changing, are they changing hotels like every couple hours? I think it was like every day. Okay. So, so probably three hotels. Gotcha. Three hotels. Blake and Hannah claimed they hadn't even learned about McKee's death until the following day on Saturday when they had heard it on a taxi radio. And they said it wasn't until that moment that they realized the gravity of the situation that they were actually in. Yeah, so here's the big question. What do they do once they realize that he's dead? Well, they didn't immediately call the police after that. Uh, They stayed in another hotel that Saturday night, and they didn't call until Sunday morning. And Hannah said at that point they were still not thinking straight. And even though they knew that they'd have to talk to the police about what had happened, they didn't know what to do. And finally, they did end up meeting with police, but not until Monday evening, which was three days after the attack, which gave them enough time to first see a lawyer, of course. Yeah, I mean, I can't blame them. No, I can't either. But when they did finally go into the police station, instead of accepting it all as if it were self-defense, Blake and Hannah were immediately arrested and charged with murder. Wow. Yeah. Blake and Hannah had no idea this is what they were walking into because even their lawyers didn't tell them that they'd be facing something as serious as murder. And they could, they just completely could not wrap their heads around what was happening because to them, they were the ones who were attacked. A man came into their home with a gun and assaulted them and they were attacked. So to them, it's like clear as day, you know, but they made mistakes and they ran and they hid and it's this whole thing. 
Yes, it's this whole thing. <laughs> True. <laughs> the other day you were talking about how you say, you know, after everything, even in like inappropriate settings. Or Sometimes it's too much. It's like when you shouldn't. And I'm, I I guess that's mine. It's this whole thing. You know, yeah, it's the whole thing. It <laughs> anyway, really is. The Wait. police. So how's Blake doing? It sounds like he definitely fractured his skull, right? How's that going? Yeah, he's definitely. Like for three days? He's like, definitely concussed. I feel like he should be in a hospital. They're both really bad. I mean, they're their mental state, one, is really bad. Physically, Blake has a concussion. And um, I think Blake has PTSD. This crow is, like, driving me crazy. Yeah. If you hear a crow in the background for the entire episode, I apologize. <laughs> anyway, um, I'm pretty sure to begin with, Blake had, like, really bad anxiety and also PTSD. Um, so having this sort of this attack happen only heightened the like panic and oh so like, he had kind response. of response and anxiety disorder yeah previous to this yeah and okay. hannah hannah also had something along that line as well where like their mental state was just not yeah they good. just kind of went off the rails yeah they just completely went into panic mode and just were not thinking straight sure so they're not doing well yeah to put it lightly yeah, we got it yeah it's a whole thing did the lawyers know that they were going to get charged? Like, they obviously had to know. They probably knew, like, the news and the case around it. Whether yeah. they tell them, whether they scared they would turn themselves in or what? Well, I didn't have any information about their conversation with the lawyers or what they knew, what they didn't know. But I'm, but I'm assuming since Hannah and Blake made it to the lawyers before they went to the police and before they knew anything more than just the fact that he was dead they probably went to the lawyers and just told them exactly what happened to them. And the right. lawyers were like, oh, it's clearly self-defense. And right. then they go to the police and they're like, well, you know, we found a man in the middle of the street with his cre head cracked open and brain matter everywhere. And, yeah. and you're charged with murder because yeah. you ran and hid, Yeah, you know? So it's, it's just a very complicated, yeah. it's a whole thing. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, anyway. I'm also thinking like, I totally would have gone to a lawyer for, I don't know if like the Australian system is similar to the u.s one but they can like force you to, or not like force you but like really coerce you into a confession um and that yeah. can't, like stands up in court yeah especially if you're in a bad mental state for sure yeah but yeah so the police searched blake's house and found some interesting evidence including the other samurai swords another small blade a bunch of jars filled with cannabis and a drawer full of money and this is when it came out that this wasn't as much of a random attack as they initially believed. Jet McKee was a stranger to both Blake and Hannah, but the attack was not random. McKee had been driven to Blake's house by a friend, like I mentioned, who knew Blake kept cash at the home. And this friend had also sold weed to Hannah, who was then kind of providing it or selling it to her friends. Okay, so weed's illegal in Australia? Yes. Oh, it's... So not only is weed illegal, it's also illegal to possess, like, bongs and, like, pipes. Interesting. Yes. So, yes, I guess she was, like, a small, a very small operating weed dealer-ish. But she, di she didn't want to consider herself a weed dealer. She was like, I was a heavy cannabis user at the time, and because I was a heavy cannabis user, I would, like, get a, a large amount to then share with my friends, is what she said. But then again, she had a cash, 
a drawer full of three thousand dollars cash yeah not looking good no and she they also had twenty one thousand dollars in cash so it's like a whole thing i got got more yeah (laughs) there you go i'm sorry see (laughs) i can't once i start once you call it out yeah i know oh shit exactly anyway so this friend that knew Blake and sold Hannah this weed, you know, knew that she would keep this cash in a drawer in her house, who then, you know, told McKee, go rob them. So he's the person that started this whole thing. And that friend has since been arrested and is serving time in a quote-unquote overseas jail and apparently can't be identified for legal reasons. Huh? I don't know who it is. What? I don't know. That's what. That's the information I was given. Is he an intelligence agent? Yeah. What is happening? He's part of the FBI. Like, what's happening here? Um, so he's overseas? Like, from New Australia? Zealand, or, like, <laughs> U.S.? Yeah, but this man was supposed to be Jet McKee's getaway driver. Um, and the two had actually pulled off a similar home invasion just weeks earlier where he attacked their first victim with a crowbar. Jesus. So this was not their first violent interaction. They had also staked out Hannah and Blake's house for two days before following through with the attack and the robbery. But the biggest question from the police came from the $21,000 that the couple took with them that the police found in a bag hidden in the laneway that they had left behind. Obviously, the police wanted to know if this money too came from drugs, but the couple said that it was not from drugs. Blake explained that when they first started dating, Hannah had a tin full of savings, and after a few months of them dating, they decided they wanted to go on holiday together, and Blake told her that he'd match what she had so that they could go on a nice trip. So that was, it's their savings. Fair enough. Yeah. But 21k is a hell of a holiday. And also in cash in your house. Yeah. So then the police wanted to know why they left it behind in an alleyway in a bag. And again, the couple said, I don't know. You know? It's a lot of I don't knows. It's just, it's a big question mark, the whole thing. Yeah. And Tara Brown with 60 Minutes Australia asked the couple, maybe it was because you didn't want to be found with that much cash on you. And Hannah said there was no rationale as to why it was left behind because they were like, if we if we were trying to run away from the police because we were guilty, we, we would, would have, have run away better. Yeah. yeah, we would have you know taken the cash. We would have left the country. Like we would have done other things. Like we were in the area hopping through hotels. Like we we didn't do a very good job hiding because we weren't like trying to run from the police. We were trying to run from a crazy man. Yeah, yeah. Were they paying with credit cards? Yeah, I think so. Okay. Yeah, so it wasn't it wasn't from the police. It was from Jet McKee. Right. Authorities also wondered, was them running and not calling the police, did that have anything to do with their involvement with drugs? And the couple's response to that was also, no, not at all. They said if it was about that, they would have taken the drugs with them, which makes sense. But with all of these things muddying up this case, the trial turned into more of a drug trial rather than a murder trial. Yeah, no, that's what I was about to say. They're probably going to go at least spend a little bit of time in jail just because they have drugs. Yeah, it was a tactic by the prosecution to make them look as guilty as possible, and that seemed to work on the jury. According to Lauren McDougall, who was Hannah's defense attorney, the Crown, or the prosecution, were running their case as if it were a turf war rather than a robbery that had been premeditated and had happened to other people only a few days prior. From their side, it was always self-defense. 
The couple woke up that day wanting to have a nice, normal day together, not knowing that they would fall victim to a planned, violent attack. Another aspect of the court case, and just the general aftermath of the death of Jet McKee, was the reaction of the hip-hop community, as well as Jet McKee's fiance Avril Bowers. The hip-hop community in Sydney were posting all over social media things like, R.I.P. So sad to hear you passed. Such a humble guy. Condolences to your family. Calling him an awesome soul. Talking about how great of a person he was. How people were so in shock that this happened. People expressing outrage for how he died. People posting hearts everywhere. So it was, you know, people were really laying it on thick. I mean, to them, it was a beloved hip-hop artist that they were, you know, community guy, you know. (laughs) Community guy. Yeah. Uh, That's, you know, you don't have all the facts. (laughs) Well, yeah. And to rub salt in the wound just a little bit more, the last song that he put out opened with the line, I nearly died yesterday. Lord, tried to take my breath away. Not great. Illuminati. Oh, right. What? That's exactly what I'm saying. Avril Bowers went off on Blake Davis in court saying that he had villainized her partner. Well, he did, you know, rearrange my facial structure. With knuckle dusters. And also broke into my house, pointed a gun at my girlfriend, and was high on crystal (laughs) meth and, like, what? Assaulted me. I wouldn't describe that as a community guy. Bowers, like I said, was pregnant at the time, so she described the pain of giving birth and raising their son by herself and how Jet's life was stolen. She also told Blake and Hannah that she found it shocking and absurd that they portrayed themselves as victims and condemned them for their lack of remorse. Under cross-examination, Blake did say that he was remorseful, but I don't think anyone really believed it since it seemed pretty rehearsed. Mm. Blake said he has never gotten over the fact that he has taken someone's life. He said he had never even been in a fight before and never wanted to hurt anyone and never ever intended on killing him. And in that moment, he was only trying to protect Hannah and himself from being shot and killed. And like we talked about earlier, the last thing they saw was Jet McKee getting back up before they ran off. So they really didn't think that he was hurt all that bad, let alone dead. But to the police that were called to the scene, they found a man who had been hit in the head with a samurai sword in the middle of the street, dead, and so covered in blood that it was difficult to make out his features. So, of course, their opinion of the situation is very different, although he was wearing a balaclava and had a gun and brass knuckles. So, personally, I do see the self-defense. I do. He was also high as a kite on crystal meth, which they tested for, I'm sure. Yeah, did they get a tox report? I'm sure they did, because they know that he was. So they had to have tested him. Right. Which I feel like couldn't do anything but help Hannah and Blake's case. But even with all of that, it was argued in court that when Jet McKee grabbed Hannah's bag and made a run for it, Blake and Hannah no longer needed to defend themselves. And when they chased him... They became the assailants. Okay. But when Blake hit him with the sword, he was on the ground and pointing the gun up at them. So he wasn't running away at that point. Also, remember, Blake could barely see. So the first visual he could make out when he got over to McKee and Hannah was McKee on the ground and him pointing the gun up at her and Hannah screaming. So it begs the question, if that's not defending yourself then when can you 
defend yourself. Then what is? Yeah. If someone is pointing a gun at your partner and threatening your life as well, you can't defend your partner without being charged with murder yourself when you didn't even ask for any of this. Like, he comes into your house, you know? Yeah. It's it just, it's, it's I mean, definitely a question. It's like, yeah. what do you mean? Yeah, but I mean, for the, the prosecutor... For the prosecutor, I mean, they're going to the argue. The Crown, I'm sorry, oh, Australia. Oh, the Crown. Yes. <laughs> oh, the Crown. Um, I mean, they, they have to argue that. Yeah, no, of the... course. But it's just an interesting issue, you know? Yeah. But self-defense is a very complicated legal argument. The reaction of someone has to be proportionate with the threat or the perceived threat. And for Blake, that threat had never gone away. He woke up, and to him, Hannah was still very much in danger but the jury didn't accept that. There were a number of things that got in the way. So the use of the sword was troubling. I guess they were like, we don't like that it's a samurai sword. So it, you know, the defense kind of wondered, like, what would happen if he grabbed a baseball bat or if he grabbed something else that wasn't like a... A lethal? Yeah, a weapon that you wouldn't see every day kind of thing. Okay. Yeah. Another thing that was in the way was the fact that Hannah went after her bag. That was a big problem. Yeah. Then the fact that they didn't go to the police sooner. Yep. That's a big problem. So these three things were like nails in a coffin. Really? Not okay. good. Yeah. Ultimately, Blake got off the murder charge, but was found guilty for manslaughter for using excessive force when he tried to defend Hannah. And the jury judged Hannah guilty of being an accessory to manslaughter after the fact. Hannah had assisted Blake by checking into and paying for overnight accommodations in the city and at the Pennant Hills, so these are hotels, and she had bought them clothes from Kmart and also cleaned up his eye. So this is her contribution. Okay. And Blake obviously didn't agree with, you know, their charges or their sentence. Not sentencing. How could you? Yeah. And said that if he didn't use... The force that he did, Hannah easily could have been the one that had died. And he's never seen it as anything other than self-defense. And he can't help but ask the question, how do you save the person you love if that was excessive? And he wishes more than anything that Jet McKee wasn't dead. And he has to live with that for the rest of his life. So he's really struggled with the fact that he's taken someone's life. But it's he's still, to this day, is like, it was nothing but self-defense. And I will, I'll die on that hill, you know? It's... Yeah, I mean... So I get it would have been different if she chased him and then he never made another threat, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. But he pointed a gun at her. Right. So you can't... So it isn't self-defense, but it's like, you know, defense of your partner. uh, Yeah, I don't mean to interrupt, but we're going to say he allegedly pointed the gun. Oh. Because the thing is, is like witnesses... I'm going to get into this a little bit later, but witnesses of the attack at that point, have said that he didn't point the gun at Hannah or they didn't see the gun in his hand when the samurai sword was, you know, coming down on him. But then again, witnesses are not very reliable sources, especially in, like, traumatic events like this. Like, things are forgotten, things are rearranged. Like, so I I don't want to say that I don't believe Hannah and Blake because it's an extremely traumatic thing to happen and, like, it just seems like... It's a terrible thing that happened, but also it, it is a question of what actually did happen, you know? Yeah. So anyway, let's get back into it. 
Four months after the couple was found guilty, the two went back to the courtroom for sentencing on March 18th. But before we get into that, I have a quick question. Who the fuck said powdered wigs were still a thing? No. Justice Natalie Adams was sitting up there on her big judge throne with a powdered wig on her head. Uh (laughs) Why? Why? (laughs) And You're not joking. No, I'm not. And it was like a tiny one. It was like a little tiny. So like half of her head was her hair and the top half of her head was a little wig. And she's sitting up there. She's sitting on her like judge thing. And she's like, I have no doubt that the lives of the McKee family and the Davis family have been shattered forever. And she looks like a lunatic. (laughs) And like, this isn't funny. This is like, it's not, it's not, no, but that's my point. It's not a funny thing, but it's, she looks funny. I can't imagine delivering a verdict that will alter somebody's life for a, probably a decade forever forever well wait oh little powdered, <laughs> powdered wig. wig yeah i actually did this look it ridiculous. up i actually did look it up and it said that they wear wigs as like a formality like their uniform but also it separates the person from the job they're doing so i think it's like because they're delivering news like that it's like when I have the wig on, I'm the bad guy. And then when I have the wig off, I'm just Natalie, <laughs> you know? <laughs> what? I'm just Natalie without the wig. What? I thought it was, it like, tra- it's got to be tradition, right? No, it is. But, yeah. but also, it's like, it doesn't like, even cover her whole head, though. But also, it's traditionally, like a- the wigs were used for, like, odor and, like, keeping bugs out of your hair. Like, it was gross. Bro, I can't get over this. It was, it's like, like, grody. A- <laughs> It's like um, a powdered wig yarmulke, though, because it doesn't cover your whole head. <laughs> well, it wasn't that small. It was like half of her head, for sure. Anyway, okay, it doesn't we matter. need to move on. Yeah, let's move on. But it was just very silly. I was watching the video and I was like, what? Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's ridiculous. It was ridiculous. Anyway, psychologist Tim Watson Monroe was asked to counsel Hannah in the days following the attack, and he, unlike many others, said that he understood her decision to chase McKee down the street after she stole, or he stole her bag. He said it comes down to the fight-or-flight response. Yeah, I was like, she is definitely a fight. Yeah, people who are confronted with potentially life-threatening situations have behavior that overrides their judgment, so her response was fight. According to Tim, it was Blake's anxiety and PTSD and Hannah's pre-existing ADHD that helped shape what they did after striking McKee. And instead of calling the police, they impulsively went on the run for three days. And the decision-making immediately after Jet McKee was struck seemed completely chaotic, but according to Tim Watson, in the context of Hannah with ADHD and Blake being concussed, both of them being extremely fearful, adrenaline coursing through their veins, it would only make sense for a confused state. So he completely believes them when they say that they were confused. Right. But there was a problem because witnesses of the attack, like I said, didn't see the gun. None of the witnesses described seeing a gun in the hands of McKee when he was running or when he was on the ground before he was struck. Was it found with him? They apparently did see a gun on the ground, but it was 85 meters away, which is like 92 yards, which is far. That's a long way. Yeah. Did they pick it up? So I think it was like over by the car. Like he was in the middle of the street and it was like by a car. And Were, were there prints on it? Well, it was his gun. Yeah. Um, and also, most people didn't see that he had a sword, meaning Blake. So these onlookers weren't the yeah, most... Yeah, the witnesses are <laughs> not coming up with a consistent yeah, narrative they were here. kind of blind. Um, 
they described it as like a stick or a pole. So Blake's argument is if someone can't make out that I'm holding a sword, you're not going to be able to make out a small gun in someone's hand. That makes sense. And Hannah, who was very much in the moment there, said McKee was, in fact, pointing the gun at her in the moment that Blake hit him with the sword. But this was the most critical and damning piece of evidence for the jury, and they revealed that they did not believe Hannah. Witnesses also reported that they heard Hannah say, what the fuck have you done, when Blake struck McKee. So who knows if that's actually true, because like I said, witnesses aren't all the most reliable sources, but it's hearsay. You think you'd remember that. Yeah. Anyway, Justice Natalie Adams also said she believed that Jet McKee pointed the gun at them in their home and then had it on his body as he ran, but then dropped it somewhere by the car sometime before the fatal blow. She also said that, consistent with the jury's verdict, she wasn't satisfied that McKee was pointing the gun at Hannah at the time of the final blow. She then sentenced Blake Davis to five years and three months for manslaughter with non-parole period of two years and nine months. Wow. She sentenced Davis on the basis he somehow misread the situation about the threat McKee posed to Quinn, meaning Hannah, not that he was a vigilante. She said he was suffering from fear and trauma and was terrified for his girlfriend. It would clearly have been a very traumatic event, but that trauma didn't adequately explain his hiding of evidence and the days on the run from the police. She also said that Blake intended to kill Jet McKee. Blake applied for bail to appeal immediately, but that was refused. So he will be released in 2023. Oh my god. Yep. So Hannah had to leave that day by herself, which is... I can't imagine. No. Hannah was sentenced to a two-year community corrections order, so like community service, and she would be required to undergo treatment for her mental health conditions. And Justice Adams said she wasn't satisfied beyond a reasonable doubt that Quinn knew Mr. McKee was dead, citing he had walked almost 80 meters from where he was fatally struck before collapsing. I am unable to be satisfied beyond reasonable doubt that she knew he was dead when she fled the scene, but she found that Quinn had not shown remorse for her actions following the attack. Although I am satisfied, she said, she has been profoundly affected, but she is not satisfied that Hannah is remorseful. This is strange. Why does it matter if she's remorseful? Yeah, like that doesn't, I don't know. Like, I don't think that should matter. Yeah, it's just a question of like, is she a nice person? I mean, obviously, you'd feel remorse for, like, for taking a life, but if you felt threatened... Of course. You felt like he was going to shoot you. Well, that's exactly what they've said. That's a no-brainer every time. That's what Hannah and Blake have said in every single thing, is, like, we feel bad that a life is taken and that he is gone, but we are so happy that we're both alive, and it was self-defense. Yeah. So, I have a couple questions here. It seems like guilty until proven innocent yeah i guess i mean i think it's just an a tough complicated case going into it because of the way they stumbled on it and the way hannah and blake like fled and hid for three days i mean i don't think that they were a i mean according to them they were not hiding from the police they were hiding from jet mckee but you know when they did find out that he was dead they did stay in hiding maybe just to gather their thoughts or like because they were still in a really terrible mind space according to them i mean i can't even imagine going through something like that 
and yeah. like so I, I so another question is so the gun was yeah. found like 90 yards away from jet uh yeah and was it like he left it where he got struck moved 90 yards and then collapsed and died or was it like the other way around where it was like he probably dropped it before running towards where he ended up dying or is it like he got struck they took his gun and ran with it and dropped it so like are blake and hannah's prints on the gun at all i don't think so okay then they probably didn't touch it and like no. But, well, that's my point is like, then it kind of matters whether he like dropped it dropped before, it. like he got struck well, and he had that okay, altercation I, I understand, or if... I understand what you're saying, but the counter argument to that is when they were running away after he had been struck, he did get up and managed to walk a few steps before he fell. So even if the gun was in his hand at that time, maybe it was maybe he fell and it like flew out of his hand or not 90 yards well i don't know if it was necessarily 90 yards that is you according, said it was a long way well that was according to an eyewitness so oh, okay. they were saying it was about you know this far away but that's again eyewitnesses are not very reliable Yeah. well where did the cops find the gun i don't have that information yeah that's important because if it's that far it's like he either ditched it or like walked away from it like it, to me, if he if he had the gun in his possession at the time he was struck, like Blake's pretty innocent. Mm-hmm. Like he should be innocent until proven guilty. And I think there's reasonable doubt whether he was pointing the gun at mm-hmm. them at the time of being struck. Right. But it also begs the question: even if the gun, let's say, was dropped and he didn't have the gun in his hand at that point, but he had pepper spray on him and brass knuckles and he came into their house and assaulted them you know he he punched blake in the face and demanded money i mean i know that he he grabbed the bag and he ran away and whatever but at this point blake has woken up from being knocked unconscious he thinks he's been shot and has lost an eye and he comes outside to find hannah screaming in the middle of the street and jet mckee what he thinks is attacking his loved one even if the gun is not in his hand is it still self-defense for him to you know like defend himself and his girlfriend i mean i understand that a samurai sword is maybe a bit much but it's what he had in the moment that he woke up on the floor it's what's in front of him he had a samurai sword in his living room you know what i mean yeah it's just that's the the, the point i don't think the weapon matters because like clearly the gun is lethal so like well a samurai sword is sort of lethal to me they're on the same plane but if he comes out and jets on the ground yeah and she's standing over him yeah it's a harder case to make no i understand I I do understand, like, legally how it's difficult to make the case. But I'm saying, like, I don't know. I don't know if it's morally is the right word. But do you know what I mean? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, how then? Like, it it does beg the question, like, how how do you then protect yourself? Yeah. if someone comes into your home and, like, literally attacks you and then is threatening your girlfriend? Like, I'm just, I'm I'm wondering. Like, it's, it's interesting to think about. Yeah. I don't know it's if weird. it's right or wrong. Like, I, I don't know. I'm, I, it's confusing. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, yeah, I wonder what the U.S. laws are. It's probably different by state. But yeah, if you're assaulted, like, are you are you allowed to assault back? Yeah, because 
again, he really couldn't see. So yeah. it's like, again, like, can we take that into consideration? This is, yeah, it's, like, a mur- it's a murky case, but really I don't know. If, I don't think I agree with the the end verdict. But yeah, yeah, I mean, right. it seems like some of these fat, like some of the facts weren't, or like we don't know. Yeah, like the the gun thing is sure um, important. Legally, the gun thing is important. Yeah, sure. Um, but I, I had fun looking into it, and I think it's interesting to talk about. So I was yeah. excited to talk about it. But anyway, uh, just another thing to add at the end before we finish off. Blake actually popped the question right before he went into trial. Oh, my God. And they this got court en- scene. Yeah, they got engaged right before he was pretty much sentenced to five years, which sucks. But I guess he wanted to lock it down. Dude, what a whirlwind of emo- Like, Can you imagine being Hannah? No. Like, <laughs> no, this, I cannot. this just happened. Mm-hmm. Your boyfriend's on trial. You're going to get married. You're both on trial. Well, you're both on trial, but she ended up not um Well, she didn't going think he jail. was going to get sentenced either. Yeah, and then he gets sentenced. Jesus, talk about whiplash. Yeah. How do you deal with that one? I don't know. But anyway, um, 2023 is just around the corner, so. Yeah, you know, it's a whole thing. It's a whole thing. Anyway, whew, uh, what's your good thing? <laughs> I don't know. My good thing is that the University of Michigan has won the Big Ten Championship after beating Ohio State and the Iowa Hawkeyes. Hell and yeah. This is the first time that's happened in like a long time. Oh yeah. Watching watching, watching Michigan Watching them be good is so great. <laughs> watching uh Michigan beat Ohio State was like Oh like, my god. Oh my god. You have no idea how great that was. <laughs> to people who don't care about this, I'm sorry. But it was fun. But that's yeah. my good thing. Yep. My good thing is I am going to decorate a gingerbread house tomorrow <laughs> evening and I cannot wait. It's going to brighten my day. Yeah, we have four gingerbread houses. We have a lot of gingerbread houses in my apartment right now. We don't need to talk about it. I'm taking no further questions. Um, <laughs> I'm going to make a Christmas playlist, and I'm going to have some nice lights and some good songs and some good company and maybe a drink or two. And I'm going to little... decorate a house, and it's going to be amazing. Yeah, and we're going to have uh, the Jackson 5 um, Christmas songs, which they really spice up. No, Michael Bublé Christmas album. Okay, fair enough. Period. Anyway, thank you guys so much for listening. If you'd like to look at all the pictures we post of all the cases we talk about, check us out on Instagram at nottoday underscore podcast. If you or anyone you know has a story that you'd like to share with us and possibly hear on a upcoming listeners episode, send it to us at nottoday underscore podcast. We have a Twitter that is not today podcast, but the T on the end of podcast is a three. Because that makes sense. Because that makes sense. And we have a TikTok that is not today podcast. And just keep breathing. Yeah. Yeah.